there Disney fans and welcome to Magic by Design. If you're not familiar with the premise by now or you're new to the show, first of all, thanks for stopping by. Whether you're a new friend of the show or a repeat customer, we're happy to have you with us. The goal of the podcast is to watch and review every single Disney animated feature film. In each episode, we delve into a movie from the Disney animated feature canon in an attempt to discover the secrets behind the magic. This week, we're talking about the eighth film in the collection, Make Mine Music. I'm Ken, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother and co-host, Gar. Gar, how are you? I thought you were like, if you don't understand the premise by now, if, you haven't, if you've listened to one episode and you don't get the premise of the podcast, we're not doing a very good job, are we? Like, I've listened to seven episodes, but I'm not quite sure what's going on here. Man, it's just like, why are you talking about these films? I don't understand. Your hair looks funny. Does it? Because you just had a shower, so like your fringe is kind of half flicked to the, to the right, but then there's like stray hairs a bunch. It looks very amusing. I haven't had a haircut since February. Give me a break. I haven't had a haircut since... You like... made me say February on the podcast again. <laughs> I haven't had a haircut since like November, so get over yourself. Maybe October? God, that's the bones of a year now. This is the longest my hair has ever been, I think. I think. You're getting to look like AJ Styles oh, from no. the pro wrestling. Well, AJ had that period where it looked awful, and then he came out the other side and it looked fine. So, yes. So, make my music, Ken. What kind of title is that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, I'm trying to figure out what that means. It's like, oh, make my music. I, I love a bit of music. Or what, what does that mean? I don't know. Make mine music is not a collection of words that make sense together. Make my music make sense together. Maybe it's an old-timey English thing. Maybe this made sense in the 1940s. Possibly. Maybe make music. That's another one you could have had. Or music is mine that I make. <laughs> but Might. make my music. I don't understand it. No. <laughs> Every time you're like, what's the, what's the name of this film we're watching? Oh, it's make mine music. It's like, those aren't a collection of words that make sense together. This is like a freaking Kingdom Hearts title. Maybe this is the original Kingdom Hearts title. Kingdom Hearts, make mine music. You see, it makes sense in the sense of Kingdom Hearts. Because everything in Kingdom Hearts is nonsense. Garrett, you have to mention Kingdom Hearts in every podcast. Well, is that like a, a thing for you? There's no natural make mine music. Actually, I didn't check is there a make mine music reference in Kingdom Hearts. I'm going to check that now. But I don't think there is. Uh, so I have to shoehorn it in somewhere. I'm picturing an old-timey bar where someone goes, Oh, give me a whiskey and make mine a double. So maybe that's it. Make mine... Make mine music a double? <laughs> this doesn't make sense. Garrett, this is the third film of what we're calling the package era, so we're halfway through. We're nearly there. Mm-hmm. Well, we're over the hump anyway, at least. Coming towards the end of World War II as well, so much of the Disney staff was still fighting overseas or tied up in training and propaganda films for the US government. As a result, as we talked about in previous weeks, the studio was littered with unfinished story ideas. You're not going to find a connection between Make Mine Music and Kingdom Hearts. There's only some people being like, Here's how you could do a Make Mine Music World in Kingdom Hearts. So people want it, Ken. It's wanted by the people, but unfortunately, it's not actually real. Yeah, so we're deep in a period where they're fighting hard to keep feature film animation alive while they're being sequestered to do other things. It's a really difficult time for the studio, hence the package films, just to kind of see them through, try and make a bit of money. Hence why they're airing Fantasia castaways as part of a film. Yeah. Just, like, throw in the the deleted material from Fantasia and it doesn't matter. Well, the stuff was already completed, so you may as well get use out of it. We didn't think it was good enough then, but it sure is good enough now. Since we're broke. I've come to realise, Garrett, there's three phases of the package films. Mm-hmm. There's the South American goodwill effort. Yes. There's the wartime. Mm-hmm. And, and then we're going to get a bit of post-war financial uncertainty. Yeah. So we're seeing the war end, but we're going to get a couple of more of these films just to kind of try and recoup some losses and get back on steady ground. Because this was released in 1946, right? Uh, 45, I think, 46, yeah. So right at the end of the war. 
war. So in production during the war. So yeah, they're still thoroughly in war mentality during this period. Yeah. Make My Music is an anthology film made up of 10 short segments. There's a loose musical premise, as we said. Each segment features some music or is centered around music, but the shorts aren't really associated with each other. Well, there is a framing device, though. Yeah. The idea is you're watching like this musical theatre programme. And they're running through all the different stages and different stories of that musical theatre programme. Because like, like, the start of the film is, you know, you sit in the theatre, the curtain opens, and they go through all the, the ten shorts, and then the curtain closes. So the idea, the, there's at least a framing device, even if all of the shorts aren't connected. Speaking of the title cards, I really like, they were really nicely designed. Yeah, because the, the entire, like, when you go to a, a musical and you buy a programme, basically, that's what you're looking at, all those title cards. So that's, that, that was the premise. So I at least, I at least admire that, they, once again, they, they while the, the, the shorts do all run on a kind of vague musical theme, they at least tied them, tied them together with the framing device. With some coherence. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Make My Music was initially released in theatres in 1946. There you go, Gary, nailed it down there. Yeah. Like many other package films, of the 40s it was never given a theatrical reissue so a lot of Disney films would have been released multiple times especially the ones that were released during the war years like Pinocchio Bambi they were all re-released and eventually made money these were you, you see them again especially the more famous ones but they were they're used on you know they tacked them on to the start of other features or they showed them on television or they released them on home video with one of them cut yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about in a second we'll get on to that so it took a long time to make money but it did eventually make money uh, much like most of the features of the 1940s it did eventually Tick into the black, but it took took a while. Once people decided, hey, everything's not bad anymore after the war, I'd like to go see films again. One thing I noted here in my research, this film was entered into the 1946 Cannes Film Festival. Do you think it's worthy of entering into the, the Cannes F- Festival? I have no idea what its competition was, so let's say sure. It's actually interesting, not that I know a, war, a world war mentality, but I'd imagine the idea of going to a film during World War II is probably quite similar to going to a film during a pandemic right now. Like, I, I'd imagine the feeling, the feeling, like, even though, like, we're not going to be bombed by the Nazis anytime soon. I hope. Uh, I, I can't say that with 100% certainty, was, which is probably a bit of a worry. Yeah, there was a time period where we had no Nazis, and now we have Nazis again. Or at least, so. Well, we had Nazis, but they were very under the radar. But now they're out in the open again. It's very distressing. But yeah, so like, so like, I don't have that fear. But I'd imagine that the same, like, you know, when things open back up, there's still going to be a thing in my head during a pandemic of going to a film, even when I'm allowed to go to a film, and even when they have, in theory, safety precautions about going to a film. So I don't, I don't imagine I get that feeling. Like, uh, the same thing, like, with Disney's Mulan being released in a month or whatever, whenever they actually put that out, I think I'd have a similar feeling. It's like, I'm not sure if I want to go to a cinema to see this right now. Yeah, my feeling is... I can go, but should I? I think they probably felt like that back in the day. It's like, mm. I can go, but people were distracted by war, the lack of money, the lack of certainty, much like we are now. It's a good point. Yes. Here's a, uh, we're living through the real World War Three. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it's a contentious time for all of us. You know, the world has kind of caught ablaze in several different ways. All of the ways, I would have said. Yeah. Here's a question. What do you think these safety protocols are going to be to show movies again? Oh, well, there should be mandatory masks. Yeah, I think so too. But the problem is that then there are people who will be conflicted about buying popcorn. And I like popcorn a lot. But do you remove your mask to eat popcorn? Do you, uh, is that okay? And so that's a thing. That's, and all we all know the films may, or theaters make their margins on freaking, uh, concessions. Concessions. So are they going to be as willing? Cause uh, there was a bunch of controversy in the US this week. So we're 
or a couple of theatre chains were like, we're not going to make my wearing mask mandatory because we don't want to make a political statement that's like, one... It's not a political it's statement. It's not a political statement. Stop it. Your country is dumb. And two, they backtracked. But then another one is like, we're not going to make masks mandatory. It's like, oh, can't win. But, um, and I'd imagine probably one third capacity would be fine with the spread between the rows. Yeah, maybe less shows to clean between... Like, normally you clean at the end of the day. Or, like, you might have a quick clean between showings. Yeah, you like, have to deep clean the theatre every time. This isn't going to work. Yeah. <laughs> but then they... Like, they have to make some business, otherwise they might never open again, you know? I guess what they could do, in theory, is sell different seats to each showing and then do one deep clean a day. Yeah. You know, like... Because if you sell one-third capacity, you could sell one-third of the seats... For the first showing, another third of the seats for the second, and a third third for the third. So everyone's sitting in a fresh seat for each film. But then you're still adjacent to a film. But they're still adjacent to a film and uh, using the same armrest, so that probably won't even work. So I don't know. Who knows? I'm curious to find out. Getting back to Make My Music, this film is the only feature that is not available on Disney Plus at present. Yes. Other titles are missing mostly due to deeply dated or even problematic references. Which there's there's one of the ones in this, which I wouldn't call it problematic. It's simply not age-appropriate, I think, for the most part. There's nothing about it that's like, by God, Disney, how could you do this? It's just... Why is this for children? Uh, which they did take out of the home video release, which is interesting. So they're like they're willing to, uh, they were willing to redistribute an edited version of this film. So I wonder why it's not on Disney Plus. People theorize that some of the music rights they don't have or something like that. So that's why it's not on there. Uh, we per- of course acquired it via perfectly legal means, Disney. Yeah, we totally bought the DVD on Amazon. Yes. You can't prove that we didn't. And then we watched the edited one somewhere else that was also legal. We travelled back in time to 1946 to watch the, what's the other one, McCoys and something or other. The Martins and the McCoys. Yeah, the one that's been edited off the home video release, So, which is, it's on YouTube. Um, It's watching something on YouTube. That's on Disney to take down. Come on. Let's play a little game, guy. Let's try and figure out... Which short, or indeed shorts, got Make My Music possibly cancelled? Yeah, like you were suggesting that, and I was like, none of them. Yeah. <laughs> none of them are, like, there's nothing in any of these that I'm like, oi. Yeah, on a first watch, I can't really see anything that would be like, oh, maybe we shouldn't put that on our platform that's for children and families. But maybe on a second watch, you might find it, or on our reflection of these shorts, we're going to go through them one by one in a second. Mm, and if you think anything is cancellation worthy and, and make my music, tweet us at Magic Design Pod. You gotta care. There you go. Plugs. We have seven Twitter followers. Pretty good. <laughs> it's building. So as you said, Gar, the first short there is the Martins and the McCoys. So when we watched the film, mm-hmm. this was not on it. No. The segment was later censored from the film's US release, uh, video release due to management's objections to the film's depiction of gun use, and which are, I can understand. Yeah, there is gun use in other Disney films, including Bambi, but it's implied mm. and you don't get to see the results. There's, there's, like, gu- there's gun use in another film, another short in this film, Peter and the Wolf. But it's a toy. Well, no, the, the, the hunters have guns Oh yeah, as well. but they're like cartoonish guns. It's and like, they shoot them in the air, mostly. Yeah. This one, you actually see someone get shot. So it's kind of... Not, not just somebody. One, like, like the old man gets shot, which sparks the war between the Martins and the McCoys. And then the Martins and the McCoys murder each other in like a mass murder. Literally dozens of them die on screen. And then their ghosts float up the clouds where they pettily interfere with the world below them. So like, I can get why they're like, oh, this isn't very kid friendly. Yeah, so here we have... There's a lot of murder in this piece. Yeah, a lot of a lot of genocide. <laughs> Which, in fairness, a lot of characters die or nearly die in uh, some of these films, but they're not, like, 
15 of them at once. <laughs> so this is narrated by the popular radio group The King's Men, and they sing the story of a Hatfields and McCoy-style feud. So I don't know why they changed the name to Martins. But uh, so they didn't have to pay for the rights to Hatfields and McCoy. Duh. Is that a, I don't even know what that is. It's a thing. Okay. I assume that's a, it's, 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 it's a, an actual thing that happened, apparently, according to Wikipedia. So there you go. So maybe they didn't want to infringe on any, anybody's rights or whatever, or buy the actual rights from the surviving family members to make their six minutes short. <laughs> so they... So they lived between two mountains. They like shooting each other. And then they're all dead, except one on each side, a boy and a girl. They eventually fall in love. Mm-hmm. When they're, they're, they're literally out hunting each other to the death. And they're like, actually, I don't want to kill you. Let's get married. It's not like, it's literally, they see each other and they're extraordinarily horny. And then they drop their guns and go get married. It's the classic, I fell in love in just one day trope. Yes. Stare at each other. Straight out of the lame is. I wasn't mad that this was cut. I, I could have done without this one. Yeah, and then the, there's like a weird thing at the end where it's like the, the, the rivalry goes on and they show like the, the house where the two got married and a bunch Which of in things... between the two mountains. A bunch of things being broken and smashed and like screaming. And it's like, oh, domestic violence. At one point she punched them right in the face. Good! <laughs> it's like, yeah. all right. So it is a bit problematic and it's not even that great. It's not it's not interesting. It's not it's entertaining. Fine. The animation was kind of nice. The colors I thought were kind of interesting. The, the colors, they're pretty. It they was made, pretty. The way, you know, the, the mountains and the greens and it was nice. They set off the dopamine in my brain and I go, pretty colors! Thanks, Gary. You're welcome. So for us, when we watched the film, the first clip was Blue Bayou. This segment featured animation originally intended for Fantasia, as we spoke about earlier, using Claude Debussy's musical composition Claire de Lune for Sweet Berag... Berag... Didn't you do French? Yeah. I'm kidding. Bergamasic... No. You did French for six years. You have no excuse. If it was a German word, it would be on me to pronounce. Bergamasque. There you go. Okay. It featured two egrets flying around Everglades on a moonlit night. However, by the time Make My Music was released, Claire de Lune was replaced with the new song Blue Bayou, performed by Ken Darby Singers. You're an egret. That's <laughs> uh, so dumb. That, like, international listeners won't even understand that. Well, yeah, it's a play on Egypt. Which is an Irish colloquialism for idiot, uh, which I think is just a mispronunciation of idiot. So there you go. There's explaining the joke. Yeah, there's not much to say about this segment, really. There are some birds. They fall in love. They fly around. It's perfectly pleasant, but... <laughs> there's lots of shots of water rippling. Where they're, like, flexing their water muscles. They're like, yeah, look at us. Look at us. We can animate water. Yeah, it's nice. It's pretty to look at, but there's not much to it other than that. Hmm. And it's very short, so like yeah. that's that's what I liked about this film in general is that very few of these shorts outstayed their welcome, and I appreciate that because that was that was my biggest problem with Fantasia, where there's there was three shorts, which short was not the word to describe them. They're like fifteen minutes apiece. And I'm like God, whereas most of these are like six to ten, and there's like two longer-ish ones, and they're fine. So most of these things are in and out in a couple of minutes. I noticed that because we were halfway through at one stage and I was like, wow, it doesn't feel like... Yeah, it's very briskly paced. I appreciate that about Make Mind Music. It doesn't feel like 71 minutes, as opposed to the Three Caballeros, where that 50-minute 50, 50 segment of the birds flying and dancing to music for ever is is just endless and torture yeah it felt like an animated variety show which i I, it just felt like you know you're watching something you know oh here's the next act and here's the next act and it kept on moving which i really liked the next segment is all the cats join in this segment is one of two sections in which betty goodman and his orchestra contributed their music played over the visuals that were drawn by a pencil as the action occurred this is 
They um, love that shit. Yeah, they, they absolutely love it. This has become quite a Disney trope. They're like, look what we can do. They love the whole the animation happens as it's being drawn thing, which is, it's, it's, it's a very nice little device, but they absolutely love it. They do it in all of these films now. They're like, and look, as this ha- they, they, uh, we, as we draw it on screen, it affects the animation on screen and the characters react to it. Whoa. This felt, though, this felt very un-Disney. Yeah, we commented on that last night. It felt very kind of... Uh, cartoon strippish yeah like like archie comics like 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 uh peanuts uh like even more like happening by rara they do this thing where they have pupils but they're kind of just black discs yeah so like I, I thought this was very strange because like disney i think i have an animated style that's so fixed in my mind and they like they do deviate from it it's not like they have one look for all of this film their, their films but this looked so like not disney and i was like whoa, this doesn't look like a piece of... Like, everything else in this film had that same Disney style, whereas this didn't, and I thought that was very interesting. It I didn't think much of the short was much interesting, but I thought every, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, the, the scene depicts teens of the 1940s being swept away by popular music. They're dancing. They're dancing. It's another dancing and music scene. Yeah, there's, like, a part where there's a woman, and there she's drawn, and then... The, they turn the, the she, she's not apparently attractive enough to the man across her to dance with and then the, the pencil turns around to the eraser and changes the shape of her ass and then they dance and I'm like oof yeah. oh I even said I think I said that at the time I was like oof oh so if we're talking about points to cancel this film maybe that's one that's up there that's like alright alright strangely there's some mild female nudity at the start of this clip where she, uh, one of the female characters is getting ready and she jumps out of the shower and like she's holding a towel and she's drying herself so you don't really see anything but it was censored from some of the UK and US DVD releases they had boobs in Fantasia get over yourselves Disney yeah get over it like full on uh, fair enough they were like centaur breasts or whatever but still again it wasn't long enough to I would say it's welcome and annoy me so I was like okay I, I didn't love that one but it, it's fine yeah it's perfectly fine and as I said the animation style being so very not Disney is makes it at least you know notable no worry yeah but a point there that pinged in my head when you said Hanna-Barbera maybe some of the people that went on to work in Hanna-Barbera actually worked in Disney at that time because the times weren't that far apart or maybe they were just ripping when did Archie Comics start let me google this Archie Comics 1939 so yeah Archie Comics would have been around so they could have just ripped off the style because they thought it was cool. When did Hanna-Barbera start out of interest? Uh, Hanna-Barbera as a Google Live. Not Hannah Montana. That's a different Disney property. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I got my limo out front. Na, 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 na. 1957, so it would be a while until... Yeah, but a decade, so maybe. That was founded. So yeah, I think they ripped, ripped off Artie Comics style. Next, Gary, we move on to Without You. The tone gets a bit more somber. This seems to be a ballad of lost love sung by Andy Russell. So it shows a house that's covered in shadow. Per- a person maybe lamenting and sitting in the dark because they're depressed. Someone walked out on them, I guess. I don't know. This I- is like super artsy, but like, I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> like- if I was a kitty in the 40s sitting down watching this, I'm like, Where's the Toonies? What is this about? It's like it's, uh, the and it's like very artistic and kind of interesting. And you could probably read multiple reads of it about how it's like depression or getting over a lost love or how, how there's like oh you, you, there's always the darkest before the dawn or the sun will rise tomorrow. There's all kinds of stuff in there. And I think that makes it at least notable. I think it's probably the most like artistically, abstractly ambitious of the shorts here. Where it's like, we're going to make something that is artistic and interesting, but that doesn't beat you over the head with what it's about. Yeah. It's not like, 
Bambi's mom dies and you're to feel sad. You know, it's not those those kind of beats. So that, that at least makes it, I think, interesting to reflect on. I think if it was released today, it would be more highly appreciated or more understood. Mm. But I, I think at the time, this was a kind of a weird a weird aside. But it's like uh, in a program of, of a show, like as we talked about, if we had a variety show, ebb and flow the show. So maybe just, you know, you want to bring them up and bring them down. So I think that's what they tried to do. They tried to do like segments that were kind of high energy or comedy and then intercut them with ones that were a bit more subtle or, or even a bit more somber. Yeah, to make you feel sad, to make you feel something instead of just dancing. So yeah, there was no dancing here. So I appreciated it. Literally and, no uh, dancing. I thought the scene transitions were nice, the way they like showed sad trees, but then moved to different sad trees and the, the, the way the stars in the sky became like the twinkling sand in the desert. I thought a bunch of those scene transitions. By the way, uh, neither Hannah nor Barbara worked at Disney. Okay, my theory is, is cat then. Moving on to Casey at the Bat. This segment featured Jerry Colonna reciting the poem also titled Casey at the Bat by Ernest Thayer about an arrogant baseball player whose cockiness was his undoing. So Casey here, is this his first time with that? Is that what we're getting at here? Or is he like this super baseball player, but it's all gone to his head? I feel like it's like all hype. So he's probably never played before. or They've never seen him play. Maybe he's new to the team. And they're all like, this guy is going to be like the, the savior of the team. And then like they, they like really play it up as like strike one, strike two. It's okay. He's just, he's just playing with the pitcher. He's, he's going to knock it out the park. And in the end, he doesn't. And then everyone leaves and he's there crying to himself in the rain. So it's basically the story of Liverpool pre this year. <laughs> Actually, the last couple of years, Gareth, so... Oh, uh, sorry. I'll win the Champions League. Yeah. A few moments are exaggerated or altered and music is added. It's not exactly as the poem is written. Well, yeah, because you didn't have to make it their own. They have to adapt it, don't they? But this, it's a, it's, a, it's a good moral. It's a nice little compact segment. It's about, you know, the the airs of being too cocky and, you know, being humble. And... Baseball's boring. I like baseball. Even animated baseball is boring. I've been to a couple of baseball games that I enjoyed. I think... The important thing is to go to a competitive game because I've been to some preseason games that were really boring. Like I went to, I went to, I've been to a Blue Jays game. Went there halfway through. They were losing when I went there. They won by the end. So good luck, charm. Um, but uh, yeah, baseball, boring. It's a, it's a boring sport. Why do people like baseball? I don't get it. It's just like sit there and swing a bat. There's not a bunch of movement. It's I guess it's a somewhat interesting sport from a tactical level, but it's not a very exciting sport to watch. The, the same people who are like soccer is boring because they can't get over the fact that there's it goes like two minutes without a goal being scored are the same people that are like oh i'm gonna sit here and watch baseball where people swing and miss at a ball for two hours for me baseball is more of a patient sport it is a bit long and that's why they have a seventh inning stretch you have to sit there and watch it but it's a great way to socialize i've been to fenway park as well and there's a lot of really avid fan base and they go you know tickets are cheap you know to regular season games people go they socialize they may not pay total attention to the game they have a drink they have something to eat and they talk to their friends so like i think it's a nice atmosphere a nice backdrop to kind of socialize it's a much more boring version of cricket which is already not the most exciting sport in the world okay, it seems like you didn't like this one but uh, it seems like Disney and the audience did because it did spawn a sequel cartoon to this segment called Casey Bats Again which was released in 1954 is that where Casey went to England and played a better sport cricket <laughs> He, went, he tried to fraud a different sport. <laughs> he tried to redeem himself in the cricket ranks. It's actually a really interesting story. I can't remember the name of the guy, so it's probably not a good anecdote to bring up, but he managed to con 
several cricket teams into thinking he was a professional player and they signed him even though he had no experience whatsoever several cricket teams yeah how does Vern of the first one I get how you can be like you can f- be fraudulent about a youth career because there's no tracking of that kind of stuff but like you signed for this team and you were a fraud why should we hire you I think he didn't play that often in teams and he just bounced between teams it's fascinating I think it was on Vice the article I found it so I, I would recommend it didn't you say they, they remade this with Goofy yeah oh that's a good point a lot of the animation and all the the, the gags are used in an animation call. It's one of those, you know the ones we talked about a few weeks ago where Goofy does instructional videos on sports. He does one about football as well. Yeah. But a lot of the gags are reused in that. I don't know. I, I'm not sure which one came first, but I'm pretty sure Goofy came after. Gorsh! That is on Disney Plus if you want to watch it. It's quite fun. This segment features two rotoscoped live action ballet dancers, David Lachine and Tanya. Go for it, Ken. Ria Buchinaskia. You nailed it. <laughs> Moving in silhouette within animated backgrounds with characters Dinah Shore sang the song and Nicole will be singing it later. Spoilers. That's a tease, not a spoiler. Tease. Stay till the end. It's an Easter egg. I like this one, actually, and it is music and dancing, but this was much more sophisticated and delicate. Yeah, because you mentioned the, the, the process of rotoscoping, which is basically tracing over a live action scene in real time, which sounds absolutely painful. Frame by frame. I've done it myself <laughs> when I studied animation in college, and it got to the point where it was like 10% of my grade to, to do this for an assignment or a module, and I just packed it in because I'm like I'm, I'm gonna take the hit <laughs> I don't even want to do it yeah it sounds painstaking and time consuming but it does result in like the, when you watch this and you see the animated movements they look extraordinarily realistic they look extremely authentic they don't look like hyper animated which is probably something you couldn't achieve if you just tried to do it from memory or even from just watching reference material yeah some of the movements and transitions were a bit jerky but it was very fluid and very pleasing to the eye to watch yeah as, as I said like, like it looked authentic it, it looked like you were watching silhouettes of people dancing instead of like the, the the exaggerated version you'd usually get from animation because you know animating those intricate movements are quite is quite difficult at times it almost felt like they were the video but they put colors over them because it just felt like maybe they did maybe it's like i don't want to do the rotoscoping it felt very realistic at times we're, we're back into the comedy segments here Gar, with peter and the wolf probably the most famous segment from this movie and the longest yeah. maybe the whale who wanted to sing of the med is longer but it's up there yeah this was this is one that you i've seen before disney has re-released it or used it several times in home releases and movies yeah on television and it, it's one that stands alone by itself as as a very well produced short it is once again the ideas of Fantasia done better than Fantasia yeah where they're like we're going to assign each character an instrument from this piece and then we're going to de- like design the piece so that they, they pop up whenever the instrument shows up and it's like that's really smartly animated and like uh, from a conceit and from a premise standpoint that's really really smart and probably very hard to do so yeah this is again Fantasia done better than Fantasia yeah if you look at the musical composition by Sergei Proc Kofiev that there you go <laughs> inspired this short the same conceit is there so they just copied it but they've really implemented it well with the animation mm. it was also narrated by our good friend Sterling Holloway who was Pooh so uh, the theory we had last week where Pooh was working with them for a while before he got the Pooh job is correct yeah he's done a ton, he does a ton of stuff as we as we later googled that because the, the the eyes of the wolf in this thing look just like the eyes of Ka from mm-hmm. the Jungle Book that kind of sw- swirling red and yellow design yeah. uh, and then you were like Sterling Holloway did the voice of Ka didn't he and he did yeah so he has a very distinctive voice but i think you mentioned that and we've mentioned this in other podcasts sometimes these 
packaged movies feels like they don't have much value or they don't have a place in history but it, it kind of created a toolkit that we see used in, in, in other films down the line yeah those eyes definitely they're like alright we need the cat to look like enchanting and mysterious and threatening and sinister what did we do before that felt like that oh that wolf from Peter and the Wolf let's just do that again and like Sterling Holloway has like he is poo mm-hmm. I, I, it's like it's not it's it's more abundantly clear now that you've seen two pieces now that I've seen two pieces of his work that like he's poo his delivery his timing his like intonation his inflection all of that is everything he brought to Pooh and everything we know Pooh to be today so it's very interesting to watch this yeah. and hear it voiced over and it's like the timing of the delivery is just like Pooh delivery it's like the, the deadpan kind of style the comedy it all hits with the beats of Pooh and the pauses the pa- it's the pauses and like like, like the inflection and then as I said the, all of that That's it's just Pooh it's all of the Pooh cadence all of the Pooh cadence is in there it's it's fascinating and I very much like it yeah. it makes like it yeah. makes we enjoy the jokes more here when he does the poo delivery. <laughs> That's the thing. But I, what I really like about it is that the way they write these shorts and the comedy and the gags is that the narrator is driving the story, but he's also reacting to it and he's mm. kind of getting to know the characters and he's rooting for them. I think that's really it's a really nice way of framing a, a short. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with the story of Peter and the Wolf, a Russian boy called Peter sets off into the forest to hunt for a wolf with his animal friends, a bird called Sasha, a duck called Sonia, and a cat named Ivan. Uh, he, his grandfather tries to prevent him from going out because he has a, a gun, but it's a, a cork toy gun. So mm. it shoots a cork out and he waits till he falls asleep, takes his gun back and goes, goes hunting off, goes, goes hunting. hunting for the wolf hungry like a wolf so Peter is accompanied by a string quartet his music is very very familiar you'll, you'll notice when you hear it uh, it's like welcome to Ken humming yeah uh, I hope you enjoyed that Sasha is represented by a flute Sonia is represented by an oboe Ivan is represented by a clarinet. Grandpa by a bassoon, because he's like... <laughs> uh, the shooting of the hunters is done by the kettle drums, and the wolf is primarily horns and cymbals. Mm. Yeah, as he said, really well done. This felt like a segment that may have been considered fa- for Fantasia as well. I don't know that for sure, but it feels like, yeah, Fantasia done better. Yeah, again, the ideas of Fantasia done better, giving characters motifs, and building those motifs into the music and the narrative and the story, and telling a coherent story. Though, uh, I will say, I do, n- I do not like that they bait and switch the death of the duck that the, the emotional stakes of the piece were lost when the duck came back to life uh, so uh, Sonia you're a coward is what I'm saying and she hid the entire time and I'm upset I had a sneaky feeling they were going to do that though oh she's not dead after all but I, it was a bit of a shock but it also felt right. The wolf just ate it. Yeah, it, it established the stakes, Ken. It established the emotional heft of the piece. And when the freaking the, the duck didn't die, it's like, oh, you've undermined the emotional heft. There, there, there was no danger here. You've got to establish the danger, Ken. The real danger of the of the wolf was undermined by, by Sonia the duck coming back to life. But overall, I think it's a really good segment. It is. I'm just ranting for no reason. <laughs> it has stood the test of time. People still talk about it. And, you know, a lot of people people will have seen it and I wonder like do you think this if you wanted to make this a feature film could you I think this is actually a good uh, proof of concept to say this could have been a feature film as well so Peter and the Wolf uh, animated or just a musical piece it's just a musical piece Oh, and then so they apply the animation. Yes. Interesting. The next segment, Garrett, is After You've Gone. So this segment featured Benny Goodman and his quartet again. Six 
anthropomorphized animals. Uh, Boring. I nearly said animals there. Uh, I'm bored. It's dancing instruments to music. Who cares? Yeah, so, these, <laughs> so a piano, a bass, a snare, and bass drums come to life, as well as a cymbal and a clarinet, and they parade around a musical playground. Uh, again, it's boring, but at least it didn't, I would say it's welcome. Yeah, it's perfectly fine. It's like four minutes long. The instruments dance. We all move on. Yeah, and you're like, okay. To the Pixar short of the piece. Yeah, this is called Johnny Fedora and Alice Blue Bonnet. They're both hats. Uh, In fact, their names are inspired by hats. So this segment told the romantic... Oh, Fedora is inspired by hats? (laughs) Yeah, because a fedora is a hat car. Oh, I didn't get that, Ken. That was very... (laughs) As is a blue bonnet. Whoa, did you not know that fedoras and blue bonnets were hats? I knew fedora, but blue bonnet, not really... Alright. This segment told the story of two hats who fall in love in a department store window. When Alice is sold, Johnny devotes himself to finding her again. They eventually, by pure chance, meet up again and live happily ever after, side by side. The Andrew sisters provided the vocals for the song. It was kind of like a musical song, but it was like a story. Yes. They sung the story. Like the other segments, it was later released theatrically in 54. Yeah. It's a Pixar short. Oh, yeah. Pixar Everything this. about this. This is such a Pixar short. It's like uh, from the, the, the way the hats are animated to the narrative to the, the, the hat being going through the rough and tumble stages like before eventually being put on a horse. But then his love is next to him on the whore, the other horse. It's like, ah, oh! it's a Pixar short. It's actually so much a Pixar short that I'm like almost staggered that it's from 1946 and I'm like that's Pixar like 50 years before Pixar yeah and, and they still use that to this day because there's one very famous one that was released recently called Bow about a, a dumpling that comes to life so mm. it's become almost like a cliche these days like something inanimate comes to life but like this is like, but like the, revolutionary stuff back then the emotional beats of it the narrative style even the animation it was, it's so weird how much this felt like a Pixar short yeah but that, I suppose that, then again, as we say, the Disney catalogue is so big that the inspiration is there mm. for these people. And some of the people that would have worked in Pixar wouldn't have been born around this time. But these shorts were released again and again later in their childhood. So they might have been inspired by them. So yeah, Johnny Fedora and Alice Bluebonnet. Again, nice, good length. It didn't say it's welcome. It's a really, really nice self-contained piece. But it, it got in and got out and told its story and left. And it's a Pixar short. I can't get over it, Can I really can't. I can't get over how much this like, it's just a full-on Pixar short. Moving on then, Gareth, to the final segment, which is called Finale, The Whale Who Wanted to Sing at the Met. This segment shows a bittersweet story about a sperm whale called Willy. Sperm whale. Be mature, Gareth. We're podcasting professionals. Sorry. Willy has incredible musical talent and has dreams of performing at the Grand Opera. Don't we all? Do you think I could perform at an opera again? No. Why not? You don't think I have the range? I don't know. I've never heard you sing properly. Opera! I think I have the range. I don't want to do... See, obviously, I don't want to go too high because uh, the microphone can't handle my operatic skills, but I have the range. And neither can the ears of our listeners. Hey, the ears of our listeners want this. Nicole is classically trained. I'm not classically trained. I'm just classically natural. Okay, but... Like Dustin Rhodes, except singing. This segment felt like one of the ones they put a lot of work and resources into. They actually tried, is what you're saying. No, they tried for all of these. Like, there's a, like the, 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 Casey at the Bat, Peter and the Wolf, and this are probably the longest ones in this. They're all around 10 minutes, probably, uh, without actually timing them. But yeah, the, this is like, we actually made a full animated short instead of, you know, the freaking After You've Gone, which is just like dancing instruments for a few minutes. Woo! Yeah, so it's a self contained story about Willie. He can sing. This story reaches the press and it gets all over the world. And then it reaches Italy and 
a opera impresario called Tetty Tatty, I think it's called. I can't remember. Yeah. He concludes that he cannot sing. He must have swallowed an opera singer, so he resolves to go and rescue him. He commissions a boat with three sailors to go and kill Willie, and then... Free right, Willie can! Free, free... Well, you know, that's a... Maybe, is this the inspiration for that? Because I think that was... A, is that, no, that's Warner Brothers. Never mind. It's 1993 as well, so... So, right as they're about to kill Willie, he starts singing, and the sailors become so enamoured that they refuse to kill Willie. So then they try to restrain Teddy Tatty as he tries to harpoon him. Hmm. And then uh, we find out that he has three tonsils, like a small one, a medium one, and a big one. So he has, like, that's why he has such a big range. He can sing in every voice. And then we see kind of a dream sequence of Willie taking the world by storm. Yes. He performs many famous operas, like he's a clown, he's a devil. He's definitely a clown. He goes, yeah. I'm just mocking Willie. Carry on. <laughs> he goes to Japan, he goes to London, and like he f- performs all these famous pieces, and he's world-renowned, and then that's shattered by a harpoon. He's piercing. murdered. He's, yeah. he's murdered in cold whale blood. So Teddy Tatty says, uh, he's like, he can sing in three voices. That must mean he has swallowed three of them. Yes, he has watched the uh, animated film Pinocchio, in which Monstro swallows people and people just live in his mouth. So that's obviously established canon in his mind that that's a thing that can happen. So there's just a bunch of opera singers who are on a boat who got swallowed by this whale. And, then that- and there's a wooden boy in there with a yeah. donkey's tail. <laughs> Maybe the wooden boy has an operatic voice. Maybe he does. The narrator doesn't blame Tetty Tatty for his actions because a whale that can sing is a miracle and humans don't understand miracles. Who could possibly hold somebody account for murder? Yeah. (laughs) And then the final scene we see that Willie sings on in heaven and he's giving sold out performances. Yes, which means there's no one getting into heaven and everyone goes to hell. Yeah, there's a shot of like the purdy gates and it's locked because the show is sold out. So anybody that dies is just like, ah, well... Willie's singing today, off to hell I go, for uh, eternal damnation. Oh, no, I guess from the distance that opera purports I can hear is pretty good, but I'm going to be tortured for the rest of my life, so... It was nice while it lasted. Ah, well... (laughs) I like this one again. It was one of the longer ones, but it wasn't too long. It told a nice story, like, I I like the singing, the opera. As we said, you know, when we were watching it, you know, we haven't been to an opera, but I really would like to go. Yes, and the only opera I've seen is in Final Fantasy VI, of course. Of course. Your your, your favourite opera. It's a very famous scene in that film, actually, because it's it's an opera done in 16-bit music. So it's bleeps and bloops done to simulate an opera actually quite impressively, given the technology. But yeah, I've never seen an opera, and I'd like to see an opera. I've seen plenty of musicals, but I've never seen an opera. Yeah, every time I go to New York or London, I always go to musicals, but there's really famous operas there as well. The Met Opera is pretty good, and they've done a lot of work in the last few years to make it accessible. Like, they'll have, like, English translations and stuff like that, just to help you understand, you know, what the story is going on. It'll, it'll actually narrate the story for you, so... So I really want to go the next time I'm in New York. That sounds really bougie that I go to New York all the time. I would like to travel to you on my yearly trip to New York. I would like to see the opera this time. It's one of my haunts, you know. And I will wear a monocle. It's a top hat. You always wear a monocle, though, so it's wear, new for you. Well, I wear a double monocle. They're called spectacles. Because <laughs> you're a nerd. Thanks, Gary. You're welcome. I, I even like the moral of the story. It's nice. Like, you know, we, do, we try to destroy the things that we don't understand. And, Humans are dumbasses. We yeah. kill whales when they sing. Yeah. Like, so we can't believe that something is a miracle or something that, you know, something extraordinary is happening. And if it does happen, we feel threatened by it. In fairness, though, if if so, if I ever the explanation for something to me is it's a miracle, I'm also not going to trust that because there's no such thing as miracles. There's science, Ken. Explain explain the whale to me with science and I'm fine. And actually they did because he has the tonsils. So the they should have done a, a scientific uh, study on this whale and discovered his extraordinarily tons, extraordinary tonsils. And then we would have understood the whale. But it's, it's really a, a damnation 
sensation of us reacting emotionally to things instead of scientifically. Interesting read. There you go. Final summary and thoughts about this film. What, what, what are you taking away from this? It's much better than The Three Caballeros. Yeah. I didn't hate it. it it's was, a nice breezy collection of decent shorts. Yeah, there was a lot to like here. And as you said, it was breezy. It didn't feel too long. It, like Towards the end of The Three Caballeros, I just wanted it to end. Desperately. There's a lot of stuff here, as you said, that could be seen as inspiration for future films, much like, you know, the the style of animation, the little tricks uh, and, you know, interesting things like the spiralize, as you talked about, the the short with the fedora and the blue bonnet, that, you know, very much a, a patented style of Disney and Pixar these days. It's where all of Pixar came from. I, I'm, I'm convinced. So, I think again, like, you know, uh, would I recommend it? Yes. Uh, unlike last week. And going into this week, I was very much guarded, thinking, like, oh, are we in for more of the same from last week? That, you know, they've really run out of ideas and they're trying to plod through this this tough time at the studio by churning out crap but this was this was really effective and they, like even though they weren't related i think the the show as a program flowed really nicely yes it was a, a nice collection of shorts none of which outstayed their welcome a bunch of which were nice and short so that like they were actual shorts <laughs> so that you watch them and they're like oh that's a nice little thing i didn't love it but it's it's over now so yeah. i can't complain exactly even the segments i didn't like they're, they're not around long enough for you to kind of get annoyed or bothered by them or start looking at your watch unlike certain collections of shorts based around the music looking at you fantasia yeah fantasia has artistic merit i like fantasia it's just the parts of fantasia i don't like i really don't like <laughs> So we don't know why they cancelled it or why it's not on Disney Plus, but we would recommend it. So if you can track it down, you know, there's there's well, methods. Well, Tarzan wasn't on Disney Plus for a while. It wasn't, but they got it. So maybe there's some, maybe there's some really weird rights thing about this. Licensing, they, yeah, or it's on some other streaming platform or something like that. Somebody is like, I desperately want the rights to just make my music. And Disney are like, all right, <laughs> take it. I, I wouldn't recommend purchasing it for your collection unless you're like a really avid, uh, diehard fan. But if you can check it out, you can find it within the realms of you know legality because we we don't all these shorts are on YouTube just Google watch them watch up we don't endorse breaking the law uh, that's not breaking it's on the people the, the people who uploaded it to YouTube are the ones who broke the law not the people who watched it on YouTube so fair point okay kids that's nearly it for the show this week our own very talented musical maker Nicole is coming up in just a few minutes with a song from Make Mine Music so be sure to stick around but first much like a Marvel Cinematic Adventure you have to wait till the end of the credits first whereas the, the ultimate post credit scene can it's so it's probably better than most post credit scenes to be fair it's and in the case of our podcast it's probably better than the actual podcast yeah you get bang for your buck you get something that's nice at the end so if you put up with us talking for a while you get a nice reward at the end you have to suffer me for 45 minutes to get two minutes of stuff that's half decent anyway let's get this podcast finished you can find new episodes of Magic by Design every Monday, where all magical podcasts are downloaded. Check out the website at magicbydesign.buzzsprout.com. That's buzz like a bee and sprout much like the maligned vegetable to find a full list of podcast providers. If you are a social butterfly, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash magic by design pod on Twitter at magic design pod and on the Insta at Magic by Design Pod. If you like the show and you want to help us out, please do consider giving us a positive review on your podcast platform of choice, share the podcast on your socials, or simply tell a friend that you're a fan. 
I know we say this every week, but it really is vital in bringing new listeners to our show so that we can grow. Somebody told me they gave our podcast five stars this weekend. Andy. Thank you, Andy. Thank so, you, Andy. There you go. I think the first review in all the podcasts I've ever done, like, <laughs> someone actually reviewed the podcast. So that's actually great. And I can actually see a little, a little spike in listeners. So that's nice. We will be back next week at the same time, same place with Disney's ninth animated feature, Fun and Fancy Free. But until then, stay safe and remember, if you ever happen to come upon a singing whale, consider not harpooning them to death. They're worth way more as a singing whale than they are as a dead one. Harper torpedo. Pew, pew. Head movement. That's a, a Digimon reference. To go back to our original episode. Now, Nicole is here to play us out with her own version of Two Silhouettes from Make Mine Music, as well as her usual plethora of fun facts from the film. Take it away, Nicole. Hello there, Disney buffs. This is your musical correspondent, Nicole, coming to you live once again from my bedroom. The feature we're focusing on this week is Make Mine Music, a third instalment of six animated feature films set to music. It features a musical fantasy in ten parts. Interestingly, some of the music that didn't make it to Fantasia was used for this feature, such as the Blue Bow segment with Debussy's Claire de Lune and Peter and the Wolf by Prokofiev. Those who did music in Ireland for the junior cycle will remember their teacher using Peter and the Wolf as an example of program music, telling a story of characters represented by instruments of the orchestra. It's also a great way to teach the different instruments in an orchestra, just FYI. In 1946, Prokofiev would have been behind the Iron Curtain, so it is not known whether or not he was aware of the release of the short in this movie. Disney made use of popular performing groups and soloists for a number of segments, including The King's Men, the Andrews sisters, Dina Shore and Andy Russell, all of whom rose to fame during the 1940s. The song we're taking a look at this week is Two Silhouettes, or Ballade Ballet, which features the vocals from Dina Shore. Shore struck out a number of opportunities to sing with some high-profile big bands, but decided to strike out on her own and became the first singer of her era to achieve solo success. She had a string of 80 charted popular hits, spanning from 1940 to 1957, and after appearing in a handful of feature films, she went on to a four-decade career in American television. She starred in her own music and variety shows from 1951 through to 1963, and hosted two talk shows in the 70s. Dina Shore is said to have influenced the likes of Doris Day and Patti Page with her sound. Now, I don't sound like Dina Shore, Doris Day, or Patti Page. That's a lot to live up to. But here's my version of the song. I will admit, I am accompanying myself. So be nice. I hope you enjoy it. Soon as far.